Unless otherwise indicated, Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised. Welcome to Ratchet Book Club, where we read hood classics and good classics. I'm Derek. 916-633-1537, Ratchet and Ratchet at gmail.com, Ratchet Book Club on Twitter, Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. If you're like me, you're wondering, how the fuck is this, what, how the fuck is this going for four more books? There are ten books in the cartel. We already know that. If you didn't know, now you know, nigga, there's literally ten books. This is the sixth book. Zaire's dead. Money's dead. Mecca's dead. Sam's dead. All we got left is Aries, Breeze, Carter, and, um, oh yeah, Mia Moore, who's in jail, allegedly, for the rest of her life. So how are they going to run this back? They already did a dream sequence book, so they can't do that again, I hope, but... Now we're going to see, because the last thing that we have is the epilogue for the Cartel 6, The Demise. Three months later, loneliness. That's what Carter felt as he walked the streets of Barcelona while looking at pictures of his son, Mo, and Breeze. He was grateful for those images. They made his days a little bit easier giving him temporary relief from the anguish that was a constant weight on his heart. His narrow escape hadn't given him time to take CJ with him. They have to know that Sam's dead, right? Like, Sam died, and when Zaire died, that's the only witness. So, there's no case, right? I, I don't know. His narrow escape hadn't given him time to take CJ with him. He had been forced once again by the law to leave his son behind. Not being with him was torture, and Carter was biding his time until he could return. He vowed to walk back into CJ's life one day. Until then, a phone call once a month to a burner phone and postcards would have to be enough. He ducked down an obscure alleyway, pulling the collar of his Burberry trench coat up over his neck as he kept his head low. Whenever he went to public places, he kept a low profile. He was wanted in the States. If he was ever caught, there wasn't a doubt in his mind that he would spend the rest of his days in a federal prison. He vowed not to meet that fate. He entered the building where he had been holing up. It was a one-bedroom flat that sat on the top floor, overlooking the busy city. The feds had seized his accounts, but luckily, he had had the foresight to stash half of his money in a Swiss account. He could live the rest of his days luxuriously if he chose. But right now, he just wanted to restore a sense of normalcy to his life. 
Things had spiraled so far out of control that he no longer knew how to rein in his problems. They overwhelmed him, burdened him, destroyed his inner peace. Yeah, we, we get it. Like, God, what's this rule of three shit? He entered the flat and quickly locked the door behind him, to the rear of him, in back of him. See how stupid that sounds? He had only the necessities. He didn't want to acquire anything that he would regret having to leave behind. Living the life of a wanted man, there was no way to know when he would have to up and leave. He had to move carefully if he wanted to remain free. Carter sat down and flicked on the television, turning to CNN. It was the only way he could see her face. Mia Moore was awaiting trial, and her story had been plastered all over the news for months. The feds were portraying her as a murderous queenpin. The New Age Griselda, they had dubbed her. Carter knew that the description was accurate. Mia Moore was a villain. She wasn't the good girl in anyone's story except his own. But she wasn't being prosecuted for her crimes. She was taking the fall for his, and that fact tortured him daily. She was a good woman. The most real that a man in his position could ever dream of. But she was still a woman. She shouldn't have to carry this for him. She was facing life in prison while he was hiding in the shadows in Spain. It didn't feel right, and every day he was compelled to go back. He picked up the burner cell phone and speed dialed Breeze. What's wrong? You're not supposed to call until next week, Breeze asked as soon as she answered the phone. I miss my son, Breeze. My wife's face is on the TV screen. She has nobody, B. She's fighting these charges by herself. I'm a man. I can't let her take this for me, Carter said as he sat down on the couch while staring at the news. This is how she wanted it, Carter. You can't come back here. Not right now. Probably not for a while, Breeze said. And you can't call here too often. This is risky. You said once a month, she reminded him. I know. I'm losing it over here, Breeze, Carter said. It wasn't often that he revealed his vulnerability, but Breeze was his sister, and she was the only one who could relate to the type of loss he was suffering from. What loss? I mean, she's in jail, yes, but what loss? Like, Mo lost his mother and father because of her and Zaire. Breeze lost her husband because of Zaire. What'd you lose? Your wife's in jail. Eh, I know. I'm losing it here, too. Being in Miami won't make the pain go away, Carter. I lived through it every minute of every day, she whispered. Zaire was a good nigga, Carter said, interrupting her before she could defame Zaire's character. He was a good nigga in a bad situation, Breeze. They both grew silent. They hadn't spoken to Zaire since everything had fallen apart. Carter's eyes grew misty, and he quickly blinked them away. Remind yourself of that when you're rubbing your belly. That baby's father was a real nigga. He held me down for a lot of years. You can't fault a man for doing the unthinkable to protect the woman he loves. He wasn't trying to get himself out of trouble with the law, B. He was trying to save you. It's fucked up, and his actions hurt us all, but I understand it. The love of a woman will make you step out of character. I just wish he had come to me. He could hear Breeze's sniffles through the phone, and he knew he had brought her to tears. Thank you for talking me into keeping this baby, Carter, Breeze whispered. It's all of him that I have left. I just drove away that day. I didn't look back when I heard the shot. I just drove away. I'll never forgive myself for that. We all have things we wish we could go back and do differently, B. Carter replied solemnly. Go see him. 
The fact that he took one to the head and didn't die is reason enough to go check on him, Carter said. I just can't, she replied. His heart was fractured. Without me and more and CJ, he felt empty, soulless. He was incomplete. Despite the fact that Zaire had broken the code, he didn't want Breeze to feel the loneliness that he lived with. You want to speak to him? We've already been on the phone too long, Breeze said, changing the subject to CJ. They always restricted their communication. The last thing they needed was for Carter to be caught. Just for a moment, Carter said. I'll be brief. Carter heard the rustling on the other end as Breeze called his son to the phone. Hello? CJ greeted him. Hey, big man, Carter said. Daddy, CJ replied. What's up? Where are you? You on your way back yet? Nah, not yet, CJ. Dad is handling some business right now, but I'll be back one day. It might take me a while, but remember that I love you. Your mother, she loves you. Until I get back, your Aunt B is going to take care of you, alright? Don't give her a hard time. Keep your head on straight and stay out of trouble, Carter said, clearing his throat to make sure his torment wasn't reflected in his tone. Yeah, alright, Dad, CJ said. I love you too. I gotta go. Me and Mo about to go hoop. I hope there's a security guard out there watching them motherfuckers like I wouldn't let them niggas go hoop anywhere. Y'all can play on the Nerf hoop in your bedroom that's uh, behind a panic room door. Like, I ain't letting y'all go out front for shit. Like, if y'all hadn't gone out front. (laughs) Carter chuckled. His son was getting older by the day. He was only eight, but each time he spoke to him, he seemed to have matured. Take care of each other, CJ. That's family. And family is... All you got, CJ finished. I know, Dad. Gotta go. Later, he shouted as he dropped the phone. Carter was amazed at the resiliency of children. He wished he could bounce back as easily as CJ did, but life hadn't burned his son yet. He knew nothing about the woes that Carter suffered from. Breeze got back on the phone. Carter, I gotta go. The police are pulling into my driveway, she whispered. He could hear panic in her voice. Stay on the phone, B, Carter replied. How many of them, he asked. He stood to his feet. This was a problem. He was too far away. Three squad cars and a SWAT truck, Breeze replied. Boys, get in here, she shouted, her voice shaking. Carter, what the hell are they doing here? What could they possibly want now? See, it's the boys' fault as soon as they go outside to play basketball. Told you. Every single time you let them niggas, you better teach them niggas how to play soccer. P-knuckle. Rugby. Polo? Where is Polo? Fuck that nigga. This is all his fault. Carter's jaw tense and he gritted his teeth while... There's got to be other ways to soothe your ills. That actually works. (sighs) Carter's jaw tense and he gritted his teeth while pinching the bridge of his nose. Stress invaded his entire body. I don't know. Call Shitburger on your house phone. Hurry, Carter instructed. Before she could even respond, Carter heard a loud boom. The sound of the door being rammed off the hinges echoed through the phone as Carter heard yelling on the other end of the phone. On the ground now, on the ground, who else in the house? Carter heard the phone drop and his stomach went hollow. Nobody, just my kids. Two boys, but they're just kids, Breeze shouted. Breeze Rich, you're under arrest. Carter went deaf as he heard the officers reading his pregnant sister her rights. He gripped the phone as the screams of his son and his nephew shouted at the officers. Who do we have here? A voice said, finally picking up the cell phone. 
Carter was livid. The fact that he couldn't do anything had him heated. It took everything in him not to say anything. He clenched his teeth so tight that the pressure made his jaw ache. He, he, should, he should rub the bridge of his nose. That shit works every time, I guess. Carter sat on the phone, listening, as did the officer who had picked up the line. They were at a standoff, waiting for each other to speak. Who is this? Carter finally spoke. Agent Rivard with the IRS. Who is this? The man asked. You know who this is, Carter replied pompously. Carter knew this game. The DEA couldn't pin a narcotics case against Breeze, so in came the money police, the IRS. They would slap her with tax evasion, fraud, and any other monetary crime that they can make stick. The feds were out for blood, his blood. Breeze's arrest was a sure way to smoke him out of his hole. Agent Rivard, you should have left well enough alone. I'll see you soon. Is that a threat? The agent shouted. Are you threatening me, you son of a bitch? I know. No one else says it like that. I just can't help it. Son of a bitch. Are you threatening me, you son of a bitch? Yeah. Absolutely, Carter replied. He ended the call and rushed over to the small safe he kept beneath the bed. In it were numerous passports with different aliases. He grabbed one and then stormed out of the door. His anger overwhelmed him. His heart beat as if there were thoroughbred racehorses inside of his chest. He couldn't sit in Europe tucked away safely while his family was taking hits that were meant for him. First Mia Moore, now Breeze. Breeze was the most innocent of them all. If she went down, his son, money's son, they would have nowhere to go. No, this couldn't happen, and he wasn't going to let it. He held a cab, knowing it would be damn near impossible for him to catch one easily. To his surprise, one pulled up quickly. Carter hopped inside. El Pratt, he said, telling the driver to head to the airport. His brow was wrinkled in stress and concern as he stared out of his window. My man, why aren't we moving? I don't have all day, Carter said. The door across from him opened, and a woman slid into the cab. This cab is taken. Before he could even finish his sentence, the woman pulled out a syringe and injected it into the side of his neck. Carter gripped her wrist as his eyes bulged in fear. Suddenly, his hold on her loosened and his body went limp against his will. He watched helplessly as a smirk of satisfaction crossed her face. He tried to place her face. Who was she? Was this one of Baraka's hitters? Matisse? He couldn't help but wonder which part of this past had come back to haunt him. As he tried to figure it out, the world around him faded. His heart burned as sweat beads appeared on his forehead. Damn, he thought. This is not the way he thought he would go out. The fear in his eyes made the woman burst into laughter. Relax, baby. You're not dying. I just need you to go to sleep for a little while. Night-night, she said. No matter how hard he tried to keep his eyes open, they slowly closed. The last image he saw was her red, pouty lips mocking him. Once he was out, the woman slyly leaned Carter against his door. Everything all set? The driver asked. All set. It's about time the opportunity presented itself. We've been waiting for this moment. Let's head to the clearport, she replied. So I got fed up and I finally went to look to see what the fuck a clearport was because the only place I had ever heard it was Jay-Z saying it. And yeah, it's literally from Jay-Z's song. It's only an urban dictionary. It's not a real thing. It's where the airport is clear of all other planes because you're taking a private plane. I don't land at the airport. I call it the clearport. All right, Diamonds, Carter, okay, yeah, 
It's a hard knock life for Carter right now. Carter groaned as he came to. He felt the fabric of a pillowcase over his head. It stifled his breaths as the fabric covered his nose, slightly suffocating him as he sucked in his own recycled air. There were others in the room. He could hear them, struggling, questioning, demanding the same answers to questions he had pondered himself. Carter sat stoically as he realized that his hands and legs were bound to the chair he had been planted in. Everything was fuzzy. Voices sounded far away. He was still groggy from the effects of being drugged, and he had no idea where he had been taken. He shook his head, trying to clear his thoughts from the heavy fog that was weighing down his mental. He couldn't think straight. His senses were dulled, but his heart sensed very well that danger was near. The sounds of other people chatting became more coherent as he came to. He heard at least three different voices. He couldn't pinpoint exactly whom they belonged to. Where am I? he thought. Apparently, it was the exact same thoughts running through the minds of the others in the room. It was complete chaos as everybody tried to figure out what was going on. Where the fuck am I? a female voice asked. I can't see anything. What's going on? asked a man. Where's behind this? Untie me right now, a man said with a heavy Spanish accent. See, that right there, small thing, big thing, gets my nerves. Female voice. Um, could have said a woman's voice. Because they're not saying a male's voice asked. They're just saying a man's voice. So they could have said a woman's voice. Female. Please help, someone screamed. The screams only made things worse. It was the unknown that haunted Carter. Am I in police custody? He thought. The absolute darkness beneath the pillowcase was causing paranoia to creep into his bones. Suddenly, a man's voice broke through all the chaos. Listen, we can't figure this thing out if everyone is talking. So let's all relax and talk this out. Who is that? Carter thought. The man's words settled the room. Carter listened as the man continued. I was driving and I got ambushed. Guys in masks jumped out on me and then I remember everything going black, the man said as everyone listened. That's exactly what happened to me, Baron, a female voice. There we go again. A female voice said as she also tried to relieve herself from the bondage. So, I wouldn't say anything if I were Carter, because this sounds like a trap. They could all not even be in bondage. They could all just be standing around him talking from scripts. Somehow they all know each other. That's fishy. Baron, Carter thought, catching the name the woman had thrown out. He ran it through his mental Rolodex, but drew blanks. This was getting more odd by the minute. It's me, Anari, the woman said, announcing herself. Again, Carter was drawing blanks. He had never heard of Inari, but her name was Legend in the Streets. She was the woman who could make it snow. She was heavy in the game and was a member of the Supreme Clientele. God damn it. She was a member of the Supreme Clientele Drug Syndicate. Supreme Clientele. Are we fucking serious right now? Supreme Clientele. Okay, okay. If y'all are wondering what the fuck Supreme Clientele is... That's Ghostface Killer. That's his song, Church is the Ghost, from his album, Supreme Clientele. Get the fuck out of my face. Oh my god. <sighs> Carter was tired of playing guessing games, so he made his presence known. My name is Carter, 
Carter Jones, he announced. He also was bound and blindfolded. The last thing I remember is being ambushed out of the blue in Spain. I'm Dahlia, another woman spoke up. And the last thing I remember? The sound of metal doors clanging open caused everyone to freeze. Carter didn't know what to expect. Some of the most powerful people in the underworld were in that room. But ironically, none of them had control over what was about to occur. The sound of shoes clicking on the floor echoed throughout the room. Every single soul in the room was on edge, and the anticipation was thick. It was as if they could hear each other's heartbeats. The sound of the clicks got louder and louder, and eventually they stopped. The hairs on the back of Carter's neck stood up as his imagination got away from him. He wasn't used to being in a position like this. He was a play caller, but someone else was pushing the buttons in this situation. One thing was for sure. This wasn't the feds. Carter's pillowcase was pulled from his head, and the bright lights of the room blinded him. He squinted as he looked around and saw that he was in a spacious room with marble floors. The artwork on the ceiling was incredible, something like he had never seen before. The hand-painted ceilings were beautiful and so high that it looked like he was staring into the heavens. They were all seated around an oak table that had a gloss to shine like no other. There were six of them in total. Carter recognized no one. A man walked around the room, freeing them one by one. Who are you? Carter asked. He was tall, slender, with salt and pepper hair. His brown skin was fair and he wore his hair in a low cut. Carter's apprehensions eased as he stared intently at the man. There was something about his eyes. They were warm, showing no malice. I apologize for having to bring you all here in this fashion, but it was the only way. Please do not be alarmed. I am not your enemy. I have no bad intentions here. He had a smooth, relaxing voice. He spoke loud and clear. Most of all, he spoke with confidence. Once he had uncovered everyone, there was complete silence. Everyone looked around the gigantic room and admired the black and white checkered floors and stunning paintings on the walls and ceiling. It was something none of them had ever seen before. It was simply amazing. So you're trying to tell me that the leader of the Supreme Clientele oh, Drug Syndicate has never seen paintings in a ceiling like that? Really? Okay. Everyone wanted to say something, but no one did. Carter's mind raced. Every single one of you has been handpicked to help me and my organization. All of you are considered to be the best at moving narcotics. The best drug dealers in the world are at this table, and we felt that you could help us move a new product, the man said, looking each one of them in the eyes as he talked. He moved his hands elegantly as he spoke clearly. He grabbed everyone's attention, and they were itching to find out more. If anyone wants to walk out the door, you have the right. A car will be waiting outside and will take you to a private jet. That private jet will take you anywhere you want to go, and you'll never hear from me and my people again. The choice is yours, the man said. He paused for a second and waited to see if anyone wanted to leave. Keep talking, the woman named Inari said as she clasped her hands. She sat them on the table and leaned forward, obviously very interested in what the charming man had to offer. Carter sized her up. Her beauty was unmatched, but the cunning look in her eyes told Carter that she was ruthless. She carried herself like a boss, and her power was evident at first glance. My organization is a society that works together to achieve a common goal. We have seen others do this on a massive scale to control the country, the world even. It's time to tip the scales and restore the order, he said with conviction. He placed both of his hands behind his back and began to slowly circle the table. 
My organization has created a drug that provides a high of cocaine, and yet when the drug fades, it gives the euphoria of heroin. It's taken orally, and get this, it's not a health risk. There's no downside to the drug. It doesn't affect your health, organs, or burn cells in the brain. It is a drug that gives you the high that so many desire without consequence. It also gives you the libido and desire of a 21-year-old spring break student, all in one pill. Of course, we could take this public, but once the USDA gets a hold of it, the generic knockoffs will be in the streets in literally weeks. This will crumble our market and destroy our purpose. There's an exotic plant in India called the Rebi flower. This particular flower is the only strand in the world, and we're the only ones who have access to it, the slim man said just as he stopped at the opposite end of the table. I want to take the time to introduce everyone here. To my left is Baron Montgomery. We've been looking for him for months now. He was one of the biggest drug distributors in the Midwest and is known for his business savvy. To the right of him is Carter Jones, head of the cartel in Miami, son of the late Diamond Carter. He's young, aggressive, and has a leadership quality that the youth flock to. Next, we have the one and only Inari Simpson. I have to be honest with you, I'm impressed. She single-handedly entered the ranks of the elite and is believed to be worth over a billion dollars. And her empire was built on dirty money. You better believe it, Inari confirmed as she looked down at her manicured French tips cockily. The whole room burst into laughter and lightened up. I told you she's a keeper, the slim man said while smiling and giving her a wink. Next, we have the Dahlia, our African connect, and our way to the five families in Africa. We want to use your connections to expand to your homeland. Dahlia rolled her eyes and crossed her arms, not sold on the idea. What can you do for me? Why do I need to help you? I'm doing just fine on my own. I have the African mob behind me. I'm above this. Where? Where in Africa? Are you telling me she has the entire continent of Africa behind her? The whole African mob? Where? She has the, she's the African connect and the way to the five families in Africa. There's only five? In all of the continent of Africa, there's only five families. Dahlia said, letting her, well, Dahlia said, I am above this. Letting her greed and power trip take over. Like I said before, this is optional, and we're not begging you to be a part of this thing of ours. It was just an invitation, the slim man said calmly. With all due respect, of course, he added, not wanting to offend anyone. I'll pass. With respect, of course, Dahlia said sarcastically as she slowly stood up. Well, thank you for your time, Dahlia. Sorry to have inconvenienced you with the sudden abduction. I wish you nothing but the best. The door is just to your rear, he said as he politely waved his hand towards the exit door. Everyone watched as Dahlia made her exit. Well, now that we've handled that, shall I continue? The man asked. After getting a head nod from the group, he proceeded. Everyone, meet Millie, he said as he pointed to one of the two ladies in the room. We've been watching her for years. Her game is heroin, and she's established a great track record of moving street product. We need that. We want to put this drug in the high society of America, but also on the street level. Last but not least, we have Brick. He has a following like no other. 
He has the manpower to help distribute, the man said as he looked over at the well-built man who remained quiet and observant. He had a real intense look, and his stature and strong facial features made him intimidating. He owns the streets and has the muscle to handle whatever needs to be handled if a problem arises. His connections with the GDs and Bloods will be instrumental. If you're going to capitalize gangster disciples, you better capitalize Bloods, man. They're going to come after you for that. We need his followers to follow us. With that, we'll be strong and have a street presence. The room was quiet, and everyone looked at one another, trying to fill each other out. They all had one thing in common. They knew the game. They couldn't believe what was happening, but they all wanted in. One by one, each of them began smiling and slowly nodding in agreement. Carter cleared his throat and spoke up. This sounded like the opportunity of a lifetime, but he had situations back in Miami that couldn't be put on hold. I can't commit to this at the moment. Sounds good, but I have some loose ends to tie back home. He was vague, but the man looked at him knowingly. I'm aware of your conflicts, Carter. If you're a part of this movement, once we're done, I'll make those problems you're having in Miami disappear, the man assured him. Just like that? Carter asked, wondering who this man was to yield such power. I'm a man of my word, if nothing else, the man answered. Carter reluctantly nodded. Well, I guess there's nothing more to say. Anybody up for a trip? The slim man said as he rubbed his hands together while smiling. Absolutely, Anari said as she looked at him with her piercing eyes. One more thing. Where are we? It's beautiful, she said as she looked around the gigantic room and its artwork. We are in Rome. This inside the Vatican, the man said. You've got to be kidding me, she said. She couldn't believe what she was hearing. They were talking business inside of one of the world's most sacred places. This institution was more powerful than all of them combined. It was eerie. No lie. I'll let you guys catch up and mingle. I'll be outside waiting. Everyone has a car waiting for him or her outside. From here, we'll go to the jet strip and head out. I will explain everything you need to know on the way to India. White men have been doing this for years. It's our turn. We don't even have to name this thing of ours. The public has already done that for us. Fucking god damn it. Just get off Jay-Z's dick. Fuck. Welcome to the Illuminati. The end. So, Carter, Supreme Clientele, that's 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 Ghostface Killer. But Carter, uh, the Dynasty, oh God, the Illuminati, B, So glad I get to read two other books next. I deserve that break. I brought this to myself. I deserve that break. 916-633-1537. Wretched and Ratchet at gmail.com. Ratchet Book Club on Twitter. Ratchet Book Club on Facebook. Leave a review on Spotify. Just push the button. It's right there. You've been looking at it, wondering what it does. Um, everybody who's listening to the show can push that button if you're listening on Spotify, period. Um, it takes like 13 seconds. You can also review on Podchaser, copy and paste that in the Apple podcast, and then copy and paste that in the good pods. 
Um, thank you to everybody who's been leaving reviews on Good Pods. It's really dope. I can respond to y'all on there. Um, you can also donate to the show at patreon.com slash single simulcast or buymeacoffee.com slash sscast or on the Good Pods app. You can tip me. Uh, thank you to everybody who's been listening. I greatly appreciate it. Y'all be good. I'm hot you later. Peace. Nah, I'm not done. Fuck that. Fuck peace. So, money dies. Zaire is in a hasn't been the same since he got since he shot himself in the head. Did he fucking miss? Like I don't I don't get that. Me and Moore's in jail. CJ and Mo are probably now a part of the system because Breach just got caught up by the um, IRS. And we're just going to leave all that behind so then we can step into the world of the Illuminati. You killed every character in the book. Basically, this has been Carter's book from the beginning, but you've literally eliminated the entire Diamond family with the exception of Breeze. And Mo. Never let those kids go outside and play basketball again. <sighs> All right, that's it. I just, I just had to say that real quick. That they have literally sacrificed everybody in this book. And they know that they got another book. So, yeah. Okay. Yeah, peace. Unless otherwise indicated... Ratchet Book Club is intended for a mature audience. Viewer discretion is greatly advised.